And I was talking with one of my residents and he said, hey, have you heard of the Green New Deal? I'm like, what's the Green New Deal? He's like, oh, it's this bill that Congresswoman AOC introduced and she wants to ban all sorts of airplanes. And I'm like, what? You mean like after this, there's gonna be a law that's gonna ban airplanes? He's like, yeah, she wants to ban every single airplane. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing here at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Patrick Oots, co-founder and CEO of Abstract, a company that allows you to brief stakeholders instantly and influence legislation. Built and designed by both engineers and lobbyists, Abstract brings lobbying into a new era. More than just a bill tracker, Abstract provides the tools necessary to influence legislation and keep stakeholders aligned all in one place. This is also a portfolio company of Vitalize Venture Capital. We dive into a variety of topics in this episode. Let's get to it. Patrick, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Justin. Thank you for having me on. Yes. Abstract. We invested from Vitalize. There's a lot to talk about with that. There's a lot to talk about with every aspect of this company. But for people who don't know, what is Abstract, Patrick? Uh, so actually, I have no idea what we're, we're doing either. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so <laughs> Abstract is essentially a way to more easily understand what's going on in government uh, with respect to bills. Uh, so as I would say most people recall, there's, you know, I'm just a bill, uh, you know, from, from, from your childhood, uh, primary education. And, and mostly after that, people forget how a bill actually turns into a law. Uh, but in reality, this is how government operates. And so abstract streamlines and, and makes it easier to understand how does a bill actually turn to law? Um, what are all the votes and revisions made to all these bills, these documents? And then how can you influence that more effectively and collaborate around those documents more effectively? So in a way, if, if you're familiar with Bloom terminal. It's like Bloomberg terminal, but instead for finance, you use it for legislation. Okay. There's a lot to dive into with this. Let's go back to the beginning because most people are like, okay, there's this problem. Like I'm assuming there's this massive problem within this. You found that, but take me through just why are you working on this company? How did this get started in the first place, Patrick? Definitely. So we initially started this with the intent of making government more transparent, which is not an easy task. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I studied electrical engineering, computer science, uh, have nothing to do with, with the political space. Same with my, my two co-founders. Uh, but my, my family came from Argentina. Uh, they immigrated here. My dad came here with the intention of being a politician. So a lot of politics and government kind of runs in the, in the family and the blood. So um, come senior year, I was thinking, how can I merge my passion of politics and government with everything I've learned in engineering? And that's where the idea came to make abstracts using AI. So the original idea was to take uh, natural language processing and make summaries of legislation and make it more accessible for people to understand. Uh, so that was Genesis story. And yes, we did start as a senior project out of college. <laughs> <laughs> a long way it's come since then. With that, in the beginning days, obviously you're looking at starting this company. You mentioned the we uh, behind it a little bit there. How did you decide that you, this was, okay, something you, you want to work on with that person? So you mentioned it's a project for school, but did you know right away, like, okay, I want to work with my co-founder on this. Like, I know for sure he's the one that work on this for, like, just say anything more of that. Cause I think we're always curious about how do co-founders meet each other? Like, how do they decide? I'm curious about that. Yeah. So I have two co-founders, um, Matt, I've known since I was five years old, uh, which is a little too long in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> so childhood friends and always kept in touch. Mo, I met. At, at college, uh, he was a classmate of mine, and he was 
he was the one other guy that actually cared about school like I did, uh, believe it or not. Like we, we would actually do our homework and actually study for these uh, electrical engineering tests. So um, we we bonded over the fact that we were both just very motivated around our, our studies. So what happened was one day I had a conversation with a resident of mine because I was a RA, believe it or not. And I was uh, talking with one, one of my residents and he said, hey, have you heard of the Green New Deal? I'm like, what's the Green New Deal? He's like, oh, it's this bill that Congresswoman AOC introduced, and she wants to ban all sorts of airplanes. And I'm like, what? You mean like after this, there's going to be a law that's going to ban airplanes? He's like, yeah, she wants to ban every single airplane. It's like, okay. So I read the bill. I searched it up, read the entire thing. It was a painful process. And there's no mention of airplanes at all uh, inside of that of that bill, at least how he was claiming. So obviously there was this misinformation, right, present. So I took that and I said, okay, obviously these bills are impacting us. They're impacting companies. They're impacting everyone. Why is this the first time I read a bill? And so I ran over to the electrical engineering lab where Mo was studying. And I said, hey, I think I found a problem that I really want to fix. And this may help society as a whole. You want to you wanna tackle this? And then we called Matt at that time because he was our best friend. He said, hey, you want to try to build a prototype for this? And that's that's how it started. Okay. With that, in terms of building this product then, take me through a little bit more of that process of that because this seems overwhelming in some ways. Other ways, like, okay, well, how do we find all this? Like, Just take me through more of that product development process, what you've ended up launching with at Abstract because I'm super curious about that in the early days, especially. Definitely. So we actually started with just very low fidelity design wireframes. Um, yep. Initially, we were using Envision. This was a little bit before Figma was more mainstream. So then we switched to Figma afterwards. Of course. <laughs> so we, yeah, of course, everyone, everyone did. Uh, that's that's a, that would be a great podcast. Like the impact of Figma on on True. startups and I'll reach out to world. Dylan at Figma and get him on the show. <laughs> oh, that'd be that'd be awesome. Uh, and and so. We started off with these low low res wireframes, and the thing is, initially we wanted to make Facebook for bills, so we wanted to make a consumer app because that's what every college student thinks about, um, and so that that flopped on its face. Uh, and through all the conversations we had, we we got in touch with Chamber of Commerce, and for those that don't know, Chambers of Commerce are uh, nonprofit associations that uh, advocate on behalf of businesses, and so we found out that these chambers had to track bills and legislation and that it was a very difficult process to keep track of all these documents. And so we looked at that problem and said, hey, we could build a solution to that. So we made a low fidelity prototype and then we said, you know what, let's make an actual product. And so we built it ourselves. We didn't know, we didn't have much front end experience. So we found somebody, an alumni actually through LinkedIn to help us build the front end for free. Again, this is all around the mission of increasing government transparency. And with that low fidelity prototype, uh, we got about 20 users on there. And that's how we were able to raise our first round of funding. So I always tell people like, you don't need money to build something, at least a lot of money to build something initially. Yeah. You can always find people that are passionate about the mission and will help you get there if you communicate right. All right, two things that you said that I have to go back to, I can't just gloss over. One, the alumni that you just said how to build for free because like, okay, someone hears that, they're like, how do I build this product? They're always trying to get like, let's start with that first. And then I want to get to the 20 customers you had on there, but let's start with the alumni. How'd you get him to, to help her, him or her to help you? Yeah. yeah. So we knew that uh, 
we didn't have, we weren't going to get funding out of college. Right. And so we knew we couldn't just pay somebody a salary. So, and we, we also didn't have the money to actually incorporate and set up a corporate structure. So we didn't have formal equity either. So uh, we leaned into the mission, right? We leaned into, Hey, this is what we're doing. If we can get to X place with X traction, we can raise money and build an actual company. And so that's the mission we pitched to all these alumni. And this guy came out of the, the forest and said, hey, um, I'm down to work part-time as a hobby and build okay. the front end for you guys. And the rest was history. What, you say you pitched a bunch of them. So you're just like on LinkedIn, you're like, okay, message. Let's just send this to as many people as we can. Let's see who responds. Just say anything more. That. I yeah. love the tactical details, man, of all this stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you, you go on LinkedIn, use all the filters like alumni, uh, computer science. Don't reach out. I mean, if they're back in, like, we need a friend engineer. So we yeah. looked at those people and said, hey, uh, we just graduated. This is our mission. Uh, this is what we're building. We're looking for help building this prototype. Would you be open to connected? And our um, our advisor was one of the top computer science professors, so that also gave us some validity at the time. Um, yeah, that's how that's how we got the first company. The, out- the outreach is always so hard. Like I know a lot of people obviously reach out to us at Vitalize for funding. So as you see, good versus bad outreach, and also partnerships. If you're at a venture firm. Everyone's a partner for some reason because you know all these companies and they want to work with the portfolio. So people like you, for instance, they're like, hey, we have these services. You should work with us. And there is a huge separation between someone who has a very clear personalized message with why it's value add, why it makes sense for you specifically, and like why Vitalize, for instance, specifically, versus yep. some like generic and like don't even use your name, whatever. So obviously going to alumni was huge because you have that connection already, some validation in there as well, the advisor. So I like how you kind of show that as well. And then those 28 customers you got, take me through that and like how you reached out to them. Like, was that just like one by one sales? Like, like, like how'd you get these customers? <laughs> A cold emailing and cold calling. Oh, Quite it. literally. I so, love it. I so love like it. Uh, Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce, that first connection was through our advisor, also LMU. Uh, and so the president of the chamber is an alum of LMU. And so again, it's like, everyone's got some network. They Everyone's got something that they can leverage. And so I knew like the network I wanted to leverage naturally was the, the school. And so um, once we got them on board, then I took their name and then I cold emailed essentially, I think it was like 150 chambers um, early on did all the cold calling. Um, and it was actually a little bit easier because we weren't selling anything. At that point, the pitch was, hey, we're students. This is a research project. Hmm. We know you, we care about, that you care about legislation and advocacy. Uh, we're trying to build something to make that easier. Can we just talk with you for like 15 minutes? So it was a pretty easy pitch. Now it's harder because funny enough, it's harder to reach out to them because we're selling a product now. So Oh, when you have that student card, Patrick, it's perfect. The right? student card so, works so well. So nice. I feel like more students have to use it. They don't realize the power they have, or even for like a, a limited amount of time, whether it be undergrad or like grad school. I did the same thing for the podcast back powerful. in the day. It was just like using so this. Powerful. Oh, I'm in school right now at USC. Like, just talk to me. Like, I don't have you on the show. It's so much easier than yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. Like, if students reach out to me, like, I, I will make time. I'll make time. Way for different. Yeah. It's way yeah. different than someone else. So, you leverage that to get these customers. When you think yeah. when you're thinking about that and the product you had at the time, how are you thinking about which customers you wanted, which ones would be like the first ones to test us out versus like, okay, oh, yeah. ultimately you want to get to these people. Just say anything more of that and how you're kind of thinking about the customer base you wanted. Yeah, I mean, looking back at it, I, I feel like this is where we could have been a lot more pragmatic and, and structured. It was it was very messy. It was just like, oh, chambers need to track bills and legislation. Uh, sure. 
And then we realize, oh, every corporation cares about legislation <laughs> as it impacts their bottom line. Let's talk to Facebook. <laughs> Let's talk to Google. <laughs> and then, oh, there's lobbyists that are contracted out, like just like lawyers. Oh, there's lawyers. So th- there's this thing is this market is so massive, uh, yeah. despite what people think about lobbying. It's actually one of the largest markets because everyone, any organization that's anything needs to lobby. So uh, we did get very distracted because um, we also tried going after every state, uh, which was not smart. So we end up focusing in on California. And then now we're, we're going down to the local level. So if I were to do it again, which is what we did later on, I would have built out an ideal customer profile table uh, from the start. So yeah. for any of those that are in the earlier stages or even later stages, uh, ICP table, super key. Um, you know, lay out who's your actual customer, who's the person using it, who's economic buyer, what are the pain points, how does your product solve those pain points, what's their flow, et cetera. So I would have done that. If I could go back in time, I would have done that from the start. I mean, there's obviously so much to learn, right? When you're when you're a founder, there's like a thousand different things you're trying to do all at once. And you're just like, uh, let's just make progress day by day and yeah. uh, see what we can do, which is always hard uh, with that too. So, okay, they have that side of it. You got some initial customers and everything. But you mentioned this, you wanted to have this product and get things built before you could raise funding. Take me through raising funding, how that <laughs> process went for you. Uh, I, I'm super curious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we we applied to sixty six zero uh, accelerators and uh, pre seed funds while we were in school. Uh, we got rejected by all of them, um, and two of them were just for 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 uh, for reference. They were Mucker and Amplify, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we got rejected by all of them. So then we said, okay, well, obviously this is not working out. But what what can we do, right? What 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 do we need to do before we get funding? And then, and this is what most college, I mean, most, most <laughs> even post-college people don't understand. It's like the point of funding is to get to a goal, right? To have yep. X amount of runway, X amount of cash to hire X amount of people, build X product in X amount of time, right? So all those X's, all those numbers we didn't have. So then we realized, okay, well, for this initial fundraise, we should be aiming for about a year. We wanted to have 12 months of, of runway and we wanted to prove out that we could um, not necessarily generate revenue right off the bat, but have a stickiness of the product, right? We're looking at monthly active use. And so in order to get that investment, we realized, well, we should build a very low uh, quality prototype and actually have people use it. And so we went back to the drawing board and built out that low quality product. So between May and October, we built out a very shitty product, but it was, a, it was something. <laughs> and we got about 20, 25 people uh, using it and vouching for us. And throughout that process, we, we refined our understanding of the market, pitched again to all those 60 people and both Amplify and Mucker gave us offers. Um, and they had previously rejected us. So that's, that's how that process went. That's amazing. Uh, with that too. So these monthly active users, why was that your kind of Neurostar metric? Take me through how you thought about that in terms of you needed that to be the thing that you're going to look at in this process, because you probably maybe seen Lenny's newsletter. He has like a nurse star metrics thing. I think he, he created there and people are always looking at different metrics and different industries have some gold standards, but every company is a little bit different depending on what they are. Just take me through how you thought about that with metrics and what you were going to care about at abstract. Totally. So at the end, right, the, the indicator that lags the most is revenue, right? So yeah. in the end, ideally, and it's also the gold standards, like people are paying for a product. That's a very good sign. Right. And using yeah. it. Right. So, um, as first-time founders, uh, I would say we weren't as comfortable asking for money for our, our pilot, right? I think 
second time around, I we're actually doing this now with our current pilots where people have to pay for it. So um, yep. we were saying, okay, these pilots are free. So in that case, what's the second best indicator? Well, uh, some type of usage metric, right? The way we honed in on ours was just observing what our users do. So I think for anyone that's trying to figure out what metrics make the most sense, you have to understand the, the workflow of your user and then understand where are the pain points or the, the drop-off points and see, okay, our product is, should be solving those pain points. So if it is solving those pain points, what does that translate over in terms of uh, metrics? So for us at that time, it was just uh, discovering and reading the bills and taking notes. And they were doing that about once a week, twice a week. And so actually our metric was weekly active use, um, high level. And then there's more specific metrics or um, input metrics to that North Star. You mentioned these, uh, these different like trials, or, like, like periods you give. What, what does that even look like in terms of uh, someone coming in, like uh, a company coming in using this? And like, what does that look like for them? I, for them, anyone listening potentially, what does it look like though for them? What, do you, what are you looking for? Obviously you're looking at this metric as you mentioned already, but what do you, what does that look like in terms of the actual, the pilot itself? Yeah, yeah. So the pilot, yeah, you just have to be very uh, clear and honest with what you can deliver and what is it that you're trying to achieve with that customer. So back then, uh, we were we didn't have a very uh, well-defined engineering process, so it was very hard for us to say, "Hey, we're going to have X built out by X time." I mean, we, we were building everything <laughs> ourselves. So back then, it was more of like, "Hey, you want to join this pilot that's semi-indefinite?" <laughs> um, but <laughs> let's define some milestones of what you need and let's build that. And that was our product roadmap. Today, we have our built-out product that is there's no pilot there. It's just you, you subscribe, we have a set price and structure, et cetera. Um, for our local product, we're doing special pilots with people with the ability to track legislation in cities and counties. And the way that works is we have a set number of, of features and we are very open to expanding that with our early pilot users. So the way it works, we just tell them, hey, this is what we have. What else would make your workflow? What else would solve the challenges you have with local legislation? And if it makes sense, we add that as a milestone with time estimates. Um, so that's the difference. We're a lot more, uh, I guess, measured with with our timing and what we can build now. And with that, with that as well, the product you mentioned that you know, obviously pricing now and like it's a little bit different at this point in time. Take me through that then today. What does it look like today in terms of that product? How you came up to that pricing, uh, that business model even? Because business model a lot of times is innovated in different ways and can you find some oh, unlocks yeah. if you figure out the right business model? Just tell me through what that looks like for abstract then today. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say this. Pricing is a dark art. Um, it's because, you know, it's like, it's a mixture yeah. of so many factors. We, for the state product, priced ourselves very similarly to the legacy software. Uh, that's present at the state level. Uh, but we're realizing as we add features, we can actually price higher. So we are tweaking pricing uh, with later stage customers. Earlier customers got better pricing. I mean, of it makes sense. They took more yeah. of a risk. But with new customers, um, you know, we are we are updating pricing accordingly. Um, so look at our competitors, but also just look at uh, the time spent and also their budget. So we are developing tiers, you know, government agency with $500 million budget is going to be in a different tier than a nonprofit, right? That has yeah. a couple hundred thousands of dollars of, of budget. So uh, tiering, competition, and then actual value was the value that our product adds to that customer. Those are the things we look at. With that, as you mentioned competition, like 
when you started this and even today, what, what are these, these organizations, these companies, what were they using before they find abstract? They're like, okay, abstract's amazing. This helps with somebody. Like, what are they using prior to that? Cause I'm just kind of getting an idea of the market for people who are curious about like, okay, they started this company, but like, do they already have other options before? Like what, what is out totally. there in terms of why they're using, like, why are they using abstract? So at the local level, like cities and counties, you're using government websites uh, and, and government websites. Ugh. Uh, at the and spreadsheets state level you're using government websites or spreadsheets or the legacy software called capital track um which is actually just as it was last updated in 2001 anyways um (laughs) now if you have a lot of money you've got a lot of budget and you need to track multiple states and the federal then you have bloomberg government you have fiscal note you have quorum you have politico politico is politico pro um, you have government, like, there's just so much going on there, uh, because they're all going after these larger, uh, multi-state corporation contracts, etc. Um, so it's funny cause like they're all focused there, uh, but you know, the States and locals, it's all underserved. So, uh, obviously we want to saturate everything, but we're just taking a different approach, making it more accessible. Making more, tell me more of the differences though, in terms of like abstracts product versus those. I don't mean, have to go through every single one of them. I'm just curious. Like, oh, yeah. uh, someone comes through, it's like, all right, well, abstract clearly is there's a reason why you're doing this and reason why you found this hole in the market. Tell me through like what that looks like in terms of why, like why then people are using abstract more, more specifically. Definitely. So one is data, right? So with California, it's such a complicated process and there's very unique things to our legislature. For example, there's this, uh, for lack of a better word, let's just say a very screwed up process <laughs> called gut and amend. Uh, and a bill can be talking about abortion and then it's amended and, and voted on. And suddenly it's talking about gun rights, but it maintains the title around abortion. So it's mm. gutted and amended. This is how a lot of language is snuck in with bills. Okay. That's something specific to California. We can detect when that happens using our classifier, our AI, right? So that's something that we're the only ones can do that. And that's an example where all these others fall short because we decide to focus our data insights on California. Uh, and then beyond that, there's the collaborative piece. So in terms of accessibility, making it really easy to collaborate internally, that's why we, we take a lot of inspiration from Asana, from Notion, uh, these other uh, platforms and make it easier to collaborate with your team. And if you need to share something with a client or externally, you can do that. So collaboration is really key. Um, And then the last point is obviously pricing, being more accessible with pricing. Um, A lot of the competition only prices up at the top for these big corporations. Hell, we're providing abstract for practically free for certain nonprofits, (laughs) right? Depending on their their budget. So really making sure everyone has access to this tool is is key. With everything you've done, so it's been a couple of years now and you've raised funding, as we mentioned, a few million dollars. Building out your own team, first-time founder, you start with your co-founders, great. Like, let's build this thing. Can we get some feedback, get some customers? But then you have to expand, and you're never going to stay at, like, three people forever, obviously. Take me through how you've approached that, looked at building our team from funding and thinking about those first few hires after that and uh, how that's gone for you because it's something that every founder is kind of thinking about. Yeah, that's a heavy question. So never hire because it's like, oh, I just want to hire somebody. Like, you hire because there's a need. And early stage, you, you can't it, you, you can't take a risk on like a growth marketing person. At least usually you can't take that sort of risk with your early hires. So most SaaS companies like ourselves have to hire in engineering and product 
because that's what's most important at this stage. Um, so we hire where we see there being a need. And then something that you know, one of our advisors told me is like, never hire to delegate, hire to elevate. So whoever you hire, you shouldn't just be delegating tasks to, they should be elevating the company. They should be autonomous, right? Thinking of things on their own. Um, if not, you're not, you're, you're just spraying yourself out more and more yeah. thin. So those are a couple of things that we've kept in mind as, as we've been hiring. In that too, Patrick. So with that, looking at this uh, overall market, like the competition is always fierce for talent, for tech talent, yeah. especially any engineering talent is insane. Like you look at obviously that big company options. If they want to go to big company, uh, there's many startups hiring, different perks people offering. How have you looked at hiring in terms of winning over talent to join you at Napstrike? Uh, yeah. So we cannot compete with the Googles or the Facebooks of the world, right? So we leaned in with our, with our mission, right? So government transparency, I think is something that resonates with a lot of people. And if somebody doesn't really care about that, I don't want them to work for our company. So that was a really core focus of our hiring process was looking to see if in the first interview, if the first screening call, if they even brought up our mission or even brought up any sort of passion around government, if they didn't, uh, we just, we just moved on to the next person. Uh, because we didn't want to hire just another engineer that was looking to work for a startup and get equity and try to be a millionaire, right? That's not the yeah. person we want. So really over-indexing on mission and passion was really important. And the people really aligned with our mission were okay taking a pay cut because they understood that there was something greater than just money involved with this type of work. Um, and we know they're going to stick long enough to actually... Uh, take benefit of, of, of the benefits that come with equity as we, we grow. Yeah, there's so many uh, different companies that have done that same exact thing. Like you have to find out your unique kind of angle, right? With what your mission or yeah. mission of the company in some capacity. Because like you said, you can't like outpay them in terms of big companies. No. You're always trying to find some other thing. A company I always bring up is Career Karma. It's come to mind to help people get into coding, essentially uh, technical jobs. So like they have coding boot camps and everything. And their mission is just like, they want to have like a billion people get jobs, which is kind of insane. So like, you think about that mission and like how yeah. the same type of thing. It's like, okay, people want to join it for that reason. Abstract, obviously this mission uh, is core to everything you're doing. And so people who vibe with that, like they want to yep. join what you guys are doing, right? And and I was going to say with the people who want to go work for Google because they want that stability, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's, that's great, yeah, right? Great. And at the same time, there's nothing wrong with people that want to work somewhere because of the mission, more so the mission over the compensation. Obviously, you need your bare needs met, um, but that that's something, that's a clear distinction that we always like to draw with any of the hires we make. Yeah, that makes total sense. And okay, with, with Abstract moving forward here, it's been a couple of years, like I mentioned, what is next? What are you doing next? What's kind of on the, the horizon for like near term for you guys? Yeah, so I would say on the product side, things that I can talk about, uh, yeah. for one is, is a mobile app. So no one's really built a proper mobile app in this space. You're probably wondering, why does that matter? Well, the reason is, think about what lobbyists do. So lobbyists are called lobbyists because they would sit in the lobby waiting for the politicians to walk out and then talk to the politicians. Most of this work is on the go. And they've never really had a digital tool that was meant for their phones. And so we're really excited to be the first to provide that here in, in California and at the local level. Um, and then on top of that, I would say local legislation, I'm, I'm very bullish on. Uh, I think there's a lot of innovation to be made in, in that space. Uh, there's so many cities, counties, 
agencies, school districts, nobody knows what's going on. So beyond just making a very uh, useful product that will generate revenue, I'm excited at what are the insights we're going to uncover? What's the corruption, for lack of a better word, uh, that we'll uncover across (laughs) localities? (laughs) Um, And what are some of the cool things that people are working on and trends, right? So I would say as we aggregate more and more data, the insights will be uh, we'll be getting from all the data we have on legislation and voting and campaigns is going to be really uh, interesting, but also useful for a lot of other applications. Okay. You mentioned the mobile app and that seems like when you say it, like, it seems like a no brainer, obviously you need to have a mobile app to your exact point. Was that something you knew from the beginning of early on? Like, okay, eventually when we do this out, we're going to need a mobile app. This makes sense. Is it something you got along the way? Like just where's that come into the process of abstract? Yeah. I mean, initially, no. Uh, it takes a lot of effort to build a mobile app. So for for most founders, yeah, most founders, I always recommend stick with a desktop app when you start out. Uh, If you're in B2B SaaS, usually work is done on the desktop. So that's the the mentality we had. But as we saw, as we we learned more and more about the workflow of our core customer, and we saw how mobile they were, uh, we realized there was no other option but to make a, a mobile app. With that too, when you think about making a mobile app, because any early stage startup, I mean, any startup really, but any, especially early stage, you don't have unlimited resources. Like this funding doesn't yeah. go forever. You have like always like all these things you could spend money on. You have talent you're hiring, you're like what acquisition, if you have that, whatever, but you've always things you could spend money on. And to then start an app, obviously you're banking on the fact that an app is needed and this will also help eventually generate revenue, et cetera, et cetera. How do you think about like the impact of the app, what you need that to do for you, like adoption, anything around that? Because I am I hear that, I'm like, I, it makes sense, but also you have limited resources. So I'm just curious on how you think about it. Totally. So that's something we've been thinking about a lot uh, regarding resources and is it worth it to even develop an app? <laughs> We're kind of in a middle point. Uh, we decided to take a web application and just make it scaled down for mobile views. Yeah. So really just being able to use abstract on your mobile browser. And then we're wrapping that, you know, for those who are more technical, you know, it's, it's a React app, you know, we're using that and then we can wrap that in a, th- there's many words for this, but essentially it's, it's, it's an app. You, you can turn into an iOS app. That's just a browser, yeah. uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So we're kind of cheating for this first version, uh, but it's not really cheating. I mean, it's still a mobile app, right? Yeah. Um, I think as we grow, then we'll be able to actually build out a dedicated Swift, you know, Swift focused application for iOS. Yep. Uh, you know, Kotlin Java based for, for Android, allow you to save notes without having to be connected to um, any sort of network, you know, all these other cool features. But for now, for version one, we decide to be still very lean, but still very useful. Um, so I would recommend that for any startup that's thinking of doing a mobile app is like, hey, see if you can scale down your front end application uh, to mobile views and then just wrap that up uh, in an iOS uh, app browser. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's an important thing to know of like, let's just take step one in this for founders who are like, oh, should we build this whole thing out? Like all this de- oh. development resources, et cetera, like probably not needed. And I look at even just my own like user behavior of different apps. So like we have a angel investing community, obviously called Bios Angels. And like we have, we're using Circle on the back end to create that, but they have a Circle app, which then we can have our community on the app but it's pretty right. basic. I don't know what theirs is built on, but anyway, it's a pretty basic version. It's not like we had to build out our own app, but it's a little different thing. But it obviously is beneficial to have that in some capacity. And for yours, it makes perfect sense um, as well. And as we wrap things up here, so you mentioned some of the next things a little bit more. Just take me through more of that mission. And like, if you are successful with abstract, 
what happens like what happens in in terms of government what happens in terms Ooh. of big picture like let's just talk about that for a sec before we wrap things up i love this question okay <laughs> i really think we're embarking on a golden age for government sounds crazy but if you if you look at our if you look at the history um since we started back in the 1700s when when the united states started it was all it was just a couple people making up bills, okay, uh, and laws. So if you were like in Virginia and you're like, "Hey, I, I really, I really don't think people should be throwing their poop out the the the, the, <laughs> the window here, right?" Or like, "Hey, yeah. it smells kind of bad here. Let me go get on my horse and then go over maybe a town or two, talk to my politician. Let's write something up and then we'll talk." It was very simple, okay. As our population increased and then we had the technological revolution going on after World War II. Uh, things got a lot more complex, but there wasn't a lot of innovation done to make sense of that complexity. So now we have a lot more laws and bills, but we don't have ways of distilling what they actually mean or, or imply. Um, so I think in the next 10 to 20 years, not only with bills and legislation, but across the board, defense, uh, campaigns, etc., technology is going to, you know, startups specifically are going to transform how government operates within with its own self and with citizens. So I think long-term vision with abstract, uh, we want to be the gateway for understanding legislation. So our, our vision is to make an educated society uh, where all this data is, is made accessible to all and, and, and people are, know what it implies. So being able to say, hey, I care about environmental issues. Let me pull up abstract, see what's going on at the local, state, federal level. These are the politicians that represent me. This is how I should vote. Oh, let me build a quick coalition to get some votes up because this is what I really care about. Re being actually involved and educated on what's going on with your government, that's our vision for the future. And not only the United States, but across other countries um, as well. So that is our end goal. Be that gateway <laughs> for understanding all that messy data. I love it. I love your passion. Where can people go to learn more about Abstract and also connect with you, Patrick, if they'd like to? Yeah. So our website's uh, very simple. It's abstract.us. And then if you want to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm a little bit more active on LinkedIn, <laughs> trying to do a better job on Twitter. Uh, it's just Patrick <laughs> Utz, U-T-Z. And yeah, happy to connect on any of those platforms. Perfect. Patrick, thank you so much for the time today, man. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.